We are working our way through a series that is now titled Tools for Finishing Strong. And uh, just again, make sure we're all on the same page. This is the culmination of a year, year and a half, dealing with the topic of aging and realizing that there's a lot out there on that. But what we found is that as we talk to people who, (laughs) well, we're all aging, who had aged out, uh, it was almost too late to cover some of this stuff. Now, in one sense, it's never too late to, to figure out how to finish strong, but it's never too early to start on this. So I want to try to create a, a series that literally could be transgenerational. It's something you could do with your kids and your grandkids. Um, my uh, daughters uh, the other day were telling me how they value... <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there's a compliment in here somewhere. <laughs> how they value having all my CDs so they'll be able to hear my voice when I'm dead. <laughs> now they may know so I had a new doctor I went to a new doctor Monday and I'm not sure but I think we're now legally married in four states uh, we uh, we're, we're, we're tight and he tells me we're going to get even closer the next time so we'll see what happens but this is a series that I could Give to my girls. My, uh, I, I, I got my two least favorite holidays are the 4th of July and Halloween. 4th of July, all I think of is mosquitoes. <laughs> and Halloween, I just think of 18-year-old kids begging me for candy. And I, I hate it. We were joking. We should have a maximum height like the reverse <laughs> of Disneyland on this. I, it, I hate it. But my grandson's coming over, and, and Sandy's out of town. My grandson's coming over, and he passes out candy. And there's an interesting human lesson here. When they're getting the candy, they take it in handfuls. When I gave him the responsibility to pass it out, he gets very tight with it. <laughs> I mean, a bag of candy will go a long way. But my rambling point was I could sit down with him uh, honestly at the end of this series and say here buddy if I can just tell you something it's this series if you get this you're going to be okay even in a world that I really do think is just going to go upside down you'll be okay because here's what you got to do you got to know who you are not not who Russ says you are or not who Chris Matthews says you are. you got to know who you are and what you believe. And then it doesn't take away the pain, but, but it gives you a compass. You can figure it out. And so that's what we've done in this. We established the Bible, and this is getting tougher and tougher in the world we live in, is this is the final authority. This is the truth. This is what we believe. This is where we go to find our answers. Okay? And then we said, if, if we know, and this is, almost makes too much sense, 
if we know that this is where the truth is, then I need to go here when I'm trying to figure stuff out. And, and I don't know, and, and I'm sure some of you want to tell me, but I, I don't have the energy to talk to you about it, but I don't know where Jesus lands on charter schools. I don't know. Some of you do. I do think I know where he lands on abortion or on same-sex marriage. Not because I'm trying to deal with the tradition of Jesus, but I think God's spoken on that. So once I got that part in place, I've got a baseline. I can start to make decisions. I can start to talk about my life. Then I make decisions that flow out of this. So if God in his word says, do it, I do it. If he says, stop it, I stop it. But what's amazing is there's a lot of area of freedom in there. And so I have to make choices, and we get tense here. People get uncomfortable, and I'm amazed at how I, I like it. Where a lot of times God says, just do what you want to do within these parameters. And we want to nail them down. Last week and this week are inseparable, though we separated them for the sake of discussion. If you hear this week and not last week, you're in trouble. Or if you got last week, but not this week, you're in trouble because they go together. Here they are. Last week, make the invisible God visible. This week, speak the truth boldly. And, and, and you can't separate them. I'll illustrate that in a minute. But <clears throat> speak the truth boldly. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul writes this. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, it's an odd way to start. We, we would have a gospel pride t-shirt. We, we would say it, I guess, in the positive. I'm not ashamed. Why? It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. This whole election, and, and not that I, I can't stay away from it, it's all about power. Uh, I got up early this morning, and it's become my Wednesday. I'm, I'm finally now, this is week eight, I'm finally into a routine. So I get up at four on Wednesday, and I get my coffee, and I watch local news. I used to only watch national news, because I didn't want to watch local today. <laughs> There's a, the surgeons at St. Joe's are having a pumpkin carving contest. I don't know. I don't want to know that my... And one guy was doing it with a robotic surgeon. I, I was cool. Well, if you watch the local news, somebody's spending bazillion dollars on this election. It's like everything... Follow the money. Follow the power. I want power. Well, if you want real power, Paul says, here it is. It's the power of God. It's the power of God for salvation. He says, I'm not ashamed of it. And I think he'd say that because I've been beaten, I've been imprisoned, I've been embarrassed, I've been ridiculed, I've been mocked, I've been attacked. 
I'm not ashamed of it. Why? It's the power of salvation, deliverance. I, I just listed three things. It moves me from death to life, from darkness to light, and from danger to per- per- protection. My, my past is gone. I'm forgiven. The penalty's paid. I live in a, pe- a present of power, and my future's in the presence of God. And that's not just wishful thinking. That's the reality. I, uh, and, and again, I, I, I know I reference this stuff all the time, but it's the world I live in. I'm in two different doctor's offices this week. Now, I'm going to tell you something about doctor's office. They're filled with sick people. <laughs> and that sounds obvious, but when you hang around long enough, you... you I'm in one doctor's office a couple months ago. There's five of us in there. Four of them are asleep. And if you wake them up, you'll say, how you're doing? And I'll go, my, my PSA is 13. My blood pressure is 170. I didn't, okay, I guess. If you live in that world long enough, you want relief. And the ultimate relief is absent from the body, present with the Lord. And Paul says, that's salvation, deliverance. I find it in the gospel. And it's for, Paul says in these words, it's for everyone. Now, in this room, here's my conviction and, and suspicion. In this room, the majority of the population has responded to the gospel. We know what it is. What this is all about, and I'm, I think I'm convinced of this, the Christian life. And, and we, we, I stumbled onto this phrase, expression four or five weeks ago. We believe in God, but to live, we need to believe God. I believe in him. Uh, we had one of my favorite moments in church two weeks ago. It's baptisms. And I can become a crotchety, old, cynical man about everything, including faith. But that baptism, you see these, and the way we do baptism now, it's videoed onto the screen, but there's music playing. So you don't hear the testimony, but you see it, and you see these faces, and they're smiling, and they're fresh. There was one, I don't, I don't even know the term anymore, girl, lady, woman, but I would guess she was about 22, and she had this great smile, and I think Paul was baptizing her, and he's talking, and, and, and she's shaking her head, and all of a sudden the tears are pouring down her face. And it was so sweet. Paul says, that's the power. That's the gospel. Now what? That's not the end. That's the beginning. Well, now I'm on a team... I'm in an army. I'm part of God's army. 
and to execute the responsibility, the job, the privilege I had, I need to make the invisible God visible and then speak the truth boldly. So we started last week in Matthew 5, 14. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Matthew 5.16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your fathers in heaven. So I make the invisible God visible. They see something different about you, something unique about you, something special. Not, this is so important, not odd. They see something different. What do they see? Well, it's not that they see Bible study or church. They see all that. But what they ultimately see is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Now, is that what they see? And you'll have to do a little self-exam here. If I talk to the people in your neighborhood, the, the ones at the gym, the people at Costco, the people that you work with, your family, your friends, do they see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control? I watch a lot of television, and I watch, I, I, one of the things I do is I watch a lot of it muted. Yeah, not because I don't care what they say, but I want to see how they say it. it and wa- watch them. Go, go to, if you're on direct TV, if you're not, you need to really get saved and move to direct TV. <laughs> but if you're on direct TV, go to the 360, that's Fox, so go over that. You hit the weather channel, then you hit the religious channel. And, and, and pick out somebody on there that's preaching the gospel and mute it. And watch what they say. And they look so mad, so angry, so there's this... I want to see... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. So what Jesus says in Matthew 5, his words, let your light shine in such a way that people see your good works and glorify your fathers in heaven. Let me ask you this. How are they going to know to glorify your father? The only way they're going to know is if you tell them. They won't go there naturally. If they see your good works, their tendency is going to be to glorify you. You're a good gal. You're a great guy. You're a great person. This new doctor I had on Monday, I'm going to see him and way out. I had no idea it was this far out. He was east. I mean, it's like... is halfway between here and Albuquerque. He's a, um, two, first of all, there's five numbers in the address, and that should have told me something. 
21321 East Akatio in Queen Creek. I mean, you just go and go and go. And I went in and I, I did my work. I looked on the website and he went to medical school in Wisconsin. I don't know. So I came in <laughs> and he and he and I'm sitting in this little room with, you know, best doctors. In the country, not best doctor in Phoenix. So I'm thinking, I wonder what that cost him to get that printed up. <laughs> and he came in, and he had this kind of weird—I don't know. It's a it's a it's a. It was a strange look. It's it's the medical look. It was self-assurance, but still a little bit of enough of a smile. And and he was fact-finding. He's got my father. He said, this is complicated. I said, you know, I keep hearing that, but let's just do it. So we go through it, and we're all done. And he said, all right, we're going to, we got some more work to do. Let's set an appointment. And I said, okay. And then I said, I see you went to the University of Wisconsin Medical School. He said, yeah. I said, are you, where are you, are you from the Midwest? And, and he said, yeah, outside Milwaukee. Well, I'm a sucker for Midwest people. They're the best people on the whole planet. I mean, it just, I, I, they just are. And he changed, and I said, are you a football fan? And he said, yeah. Well, I, and I watched the Wisconsin game. We're talking about Wisconsin. We're talking about golf. He was a terrific guy. He changed. He went from doctor to human. <laughs> and I attribute it to him being from outside Milwaukee. Now, he may be a believer. I don't know. But without him saying it, I'm going to uh, ascribe his politeness, his kindness, joy, self, to Midwest. I need to make the invisible God visible and then speak the truth boldly. If I separate these, I have a problem. If I make the invisible God visible, but I don't speak the truth boldly, I'm a coward. If I speak the truth boldly, but I haven't made the invisible God visible, I'm going to be a hypocrite. So I'm going to give you three examples. Uh, two of them, I'm in it. And they're bad examples. And then one, I'm not in it. It's the good one. And I want to illustrate each point. In the first one, I've made the invisible God visible. So I've got a guy down. He's visiting. He's thinking of moving here from Iowa. And so he is with us for three or four days. It's the night before he's going to leave. And we're having dinner. Salad comes, and he says, you know, there's just something different about you. We went to kindergarten together, grade school, high school. First beer I ever drank was with him, Ham's beer. First beer I ever drank was with him. We did a lot of stuff together. He said, you're different. And I said, well, I've lost a little weight. He said, all right. Then the... The entree came, and he said, Strange, there's something different about you. 
And I said, well, I'm a little older, a little grayer, you know, a little more wrinkled. Then the dessert came, cheesecake. And for the third time, he said, there's something different about you. And I looked him right in the eye, and I said, living in Arizona really agrees with me. My third denial. I heard audible in the background. <laughs> but, but I want you to see what happened there. I had, made, I had created the thirst. I, I don't mean I, but you know, the Holy Spirit working in me, all of that stuff. But it's time for the payoff pitch, and I don't deliver. I made the invisible God visible, didn't speak the truth boldly, coward. Now, the other side, I speak the truth boldly, but I made the invisible God visible. I got saved in March of 1980. So this is about June of 1980. And I'm uh, with a buddy, and we decide we're going to go take Friday off and go to Prescott, to Prescott Downs, the racetrack, horse racing. Loved it. I loved them. Loved to go. And I just read in the paper that it's uh, a, a quarter hot dog dime beer. Well, it's horse racing, and I'm a bit of a nutrition fanatic, so I figure this is a perfect combination. Our admin hears us. We were way ahead of our time. And she said, can I go with you guys? And, I, and, I, and she, she's a great gal, by the way. She's a great gal. And I said, sure, you can drive. Because somebody's going to have to drive. Because I know what's going to happen. Dying beer is almost irresistible. So we, we, we are there all day. We got quarter hot dog and dime beer. We're coming out of Prescott. And in those days, the last thing on the way out was a Circle K. So I said, Marianne, let's stop at Circle K. We better get some trail juice because you don't know what can happen on the way down. So we get some beer. We drink all the way back. I'm in the back seat, they're in the front seat, we get to Dunlap on the freeway, and I said, Jesus Christ has changed my life. And the guy I'm, that's in the passenger seat turns around and says, you look like the same effing drunk to me. It was devastating. I mean, literally, obviously, I can remember to this day. Now, I'd speak in the truth boldly, but I hadn't made the invisible God visible, so I sound like a hypocrite. It was, a, it was my first spiritual crisis. I called Larry Wright, and I said, it was Friday. I said, we need to meet. And he said, well, we meet every Tuesday. I said, Larry, I'm not going to make it till Tuesday. I'm falling apart here. He said, you'll be fine. I said, okay. A little tough love there. So we get together Tuesday morning, 6 o'clock, and I tell him what happens, and he just 
started laughing. He said, that's really a good story. And, and I said, well, but what, and here's what he said. He said, you're at a moment where you're going to find out one of two things. Either you're a hypocrite or you're a sinner saved by grace. So it was, it was really, and then I had to ask him to, tell me what all that, what, do you, what does all that mean? That sounds right. But, but you see what happened? Does that, I mean, that pretty graphically illustrates it. The third illustration is a guy I used to work with, and I, some of you may know him, so I'm not going to give you his name, but he's just kind of a pompous, you know, just arrogant kind of guy. And he gets saved. His wife leaves him. It's all falling apart. He's get cancer. He's in the hospital dying. And, and a friend of ours, a mutual friend, went to visit him. And we're talking afterwards. And I said, how'd it go? He said, it's unbelievable. This guy has been through a divorce and a sickness. They, they told him he's going to die soon. And I said to him, the guy speaking, I said to our friend, you're amazingly strong. And he said, no, it's the Jesus in me. See what happened there? He made the invisible God visible. And then when the guy said, you're unbelievable, he said, no, my God is. We're, and you, you've heard the term, we're a witness. Here's how Webster defines a witness. It's to attest to a fact or to have personal knowledge of something. We get all hung up. And, I, and it was easy for me because I'm, I'm, I tend to be lazy. We get all hung up on having all these answers. And most often the most effective answer is, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how this happened. It's like the blind man who's healed. Who his friends begin to ask me, he said, I, I don't know. I was blind, now I can see. That's all I can tell you. Can't explain the doctrines of grace to you. Can't talk about what happens to people that never I don't know. I was blind and now I see. So I want to put a little pressure on you. If you know enough to believe the gospel, you know enough to share the gospel. Now that's going to change over time, because over time you're going to know more, and, and it can almost, and I'm not anti-intellectual, but it can almost get in the way. You know so much that you start to answer questions that nobody's asking. They don't want to know about all this stuff and how the cosmos came together. I don't know, and you don't either. All I know is he said, let there be light, and there's light. That's all I know. I was blind, and now I see. Now, grab this. Let me check time, because I rambled. 13 minutes. This is not optional, nor is it mandatory. It's inevitable. You may be, you are a witness right now. 
You may be lousy, but you're a witness right now. It's like legacy. You don't have to build one. You're building one. If you die today, you got a legacy, whether you set out to do it or not. This is who you are. This is what you're about. Witnessing isn't optional. It's not mandatory. It's inevitable. And the minute you start to distinguish yourself by carrying a Bible or going to a Bible study or going to church, it, it, I don't, I'm going to put more pressure on you. Everybody's going to watch you and they're going to judge you and they're going to judge you more harshly than you judge yourself. What's amazing in this is this is God's plan. When Edwin Gibbon wrote in the rise and fall of the Roman Empire about the expansion of the Christian faith, he wrote this, and I quote, it became the most sacred duty of a new convert to diffuse among his friends and neighbors the blessing he received. How did this thing grow? One person at a time. One person sharing. Justice, the early a Christian historian wrote this, the feat of Christianity was accomplished by means of informal missionaries. That's just you. I, I read this, I read a book this summer uh, called Bad Blood. Have any of you read that book? Okay. It's an absolutely, fun, it, it's, it's like one of the most enjoyable intriguing books I've ever read. And I have, the other night, Sandy and I were talking to somebody, and I started on bad blood. And when we were done, she said, you gotta let this go. <laughs> nobody, wants, nobody wants to hear you ramble about this book. And I said, I, I doubt that's true, but I do need to let it go. But when somebody says to me, what are you reading? Or I'll say to them, what are you reading? When it gets that, I just launch on this book. Nobody had to told me to do it. I don't know the author. I don't know anything. I just enjoyed the book. Well, that's the way. Think about this. It's not a book that you enjoyed. It's an act that changed your life. <laughs> What's new? Jesus saved me is new. That's much more compelling than bad blood, which, by the way, you should read because it's really good. <laughs> I mean, this book is really good. It just flows out of you. If you go and see a movie and you really like the movie, you just tell your friends, I went and saw this movie. I ate at this place. It just begins to happen. You begin to proclaim the truth. You make the invisible God visible. So here you go. Somebody's going to say to you, tell me about Jesus. Now you need to be sharp enough, sensitive enough to hear how they say it. Because they may not know to say that. So they may say something like this. Your marriage is different than my marriage. 
Why is that? Your kids seem as goofy as mine, but you seem to handle it different. You just got that report from the doctor. That would devastate me. How do you handle that? You, you, you need to say, okay, here it goes. You know what? You need to say it's Jesus. I make the invisible God visible. I speak the truth boldly. Why wouldn't I do that? I mean, I, I can't imagine. I'm sure there's somebody here. But I can't imagine you just heard that and you don't go, that's right. Why wouldn't I do that? Let me give you something, a couple of things to think about. One of the reasons you wouldn't do that is because you don't care. Movies, at least it's my experience on TV, is the movies loop. Like one of the movies I love is In Line of Fire. I love that movie. And it'll go off. You won't see it for six months. And then it'll loop like every day. Well, a couple weeks ago, looping through the movies was The Sixth Sense. So remember that? That's the little kid. And the tagline in there where he just, what's he say? I see dead people. Well, if you're a believer and you go to Chandler Mall, you should be walking through there going, I see dead people. All around you. Now, I, I, I don't know the appropriate way to deal with that, but I know I'm supposed to deal with it. And, and, and I'm not talking about, here, here's what happens when we have these conversations. You build a scenario that's like climbing Mount Everest. I'm not saying that. I'm just talking about as you go. James Montgomery Boyce was writing about John the Baptist, and he wrote this. It's a little bit long. I suppose the greatest mistake a person can make as he reads about the witness of John the Baptist is to think that John is somehow peculiar. In other words, he's doing something unique. But that is an error and a serious one. Witnessing is every Christian's job. If we're to witness for Jesus, we must forget about ourselves and we must first think about the other person, their need for Jesus. That, that, that's contrary to human nature. I'm by nature. What about me? I mean, I'm by nature. <laughs> You'll get a perfect illustration tonight. Ding dong, six kids there. Littlest one will get... They either push the littlest one to the front so you get the oh cute factor, which opens up the floodgates of candy for all of them. Or they leave the little kid in the back and the kid's back there going, what about me? That's my instinct. What about me? What about me? If you're going to share the gospel... You're going to have to think, what about you? This whole political thing, the whole season, imagine, it's impossible. Imagine if a candidate said, ask not what the country can do for you, but what you can do for the country. Well, that's not going to sell today. 
Ask me what I can do for you. Ask me how much health care I can give you, how much college I can give you, how much Social Security I can give you. I got my new Medicare Medicare card yesterday. Right there, baby. It's already laminated. <laughs> well, I don't want you messing with this. It, it, it's not the young college kids who are greedy. It's everybody. If I'm going to share... I'm going to have to say what John the Baptist said. He must increase, I must decrease. And that's the heart of the messenger. It's a humble heart. I'm going to have to humble myself. I'm going to have to, and I feel so hypocritical saying it because I'm really guilty of it. I need to expunge personal pronouns from my conversation. I need to get rid of I and me and my. Other than to say, I'm sorry. My fault. What can I do for you? When, when Sandy goes out of town, uh, I, I, you know, I don't mind being alone a little bit, but one of the great things about her going out of town is she leaves me cards, and she's in this. She's she's doing. So she's taking a pottery class now. We got more pots than the pottery. We've got <laughs> pots everywhere, and they're unbelievable. And I love watching her make them. But she's making these cards, and so it says the fact that where she leaves them is a commentary more on me than on her. So there'll be a card right under the, the, the channel flipper. <laughs> one that all the, every time, there'll be one right inside the, the, the coffee maker. Because the first thing I'm going to do is the cake up. And that's not fast enough. <laughs> and then there'll be one at usually somewhere uh, o- over behind my hygiene products that she knows I'm going to go through every day. And for sure, she'll put one by the daily medicine. Well, she has to make these and cut the ones. And and there was one that said, don't open until today. So the first thing I did this morning when I got up was open the card. And it's handcrafted. And it's goblins and pumpkins. And it's happy Halloween. It's her taking the time. It's not much in terms of money, but I know she took the time and for those moments suspended her self-preservation and thought about me. And the gospel is that. Now, that's the heart of of the messenger. The message is Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And if you don't believe that, you aren't saved. I mean, that's simple. That's what Paul says in Romans 10. I I believe that he died and he rose from the dead. So if you're sitting with somebody and they don't believe he rose from the dead, you don't have to grapple with, are they a believer or not? This is what the, the gospel is. It's John 3. I must be born again. 
And somebody said, well, I don't like that. Well, okay, I don't know whether you like it or not, but I know that it's true. Now, let me slam all this together and shake it up real quick. I make the invisible God visible. I speak the truth boldly. Your job, okay, at that point is pretty much done. You are not designed to be a soul winner. Your job is not to convert somebody. Only God can do that. I can't change somebody's heart. I can't change their mind. I can't argue them into the kingdom. If the Spirit of God doesn't open their eyes, then they're not going to respond. So here's my really simple illustration. Let's say you're a couple, husband, wife. You go out for dinner with another couple. You start talking, you the guy, start talking to the other guy. The gal starts talking to the gal. Independent conversations. The guy begins to talk to the guy and ends up talking about Jesus. He tells him about Jesus and the guy says, uh, no thanks. The gal talks to the gal, ends up talking about Jesus, and she receives Christ. Okay, Who is God happier with? The guy who shared and he didn't respond, or the gal who shared and she responded? And the answer is, he's equally happy with both, because you did what God's called you to do. You've proclaimed the truth. You've come to that person and you've shared what God's done. How they respond, and this sounds, sounds weird, I guess, but how they respond is between them and God. I'm not the Holy Spirit. A long time ago, I just realized I can't live under that much pressure. If you think the person across the table's salvation depends upon you accurately articulating and answering every question, you're going to drive yourself... Here's what's going to happen. You're going to drive yourself nuts and you're going to I, most likely compromise the truth because you want to get it so they can get it down. Because You see what I'm saying? Is that clear? Some of you... Faces look puzzled there. Did I gobble that up? No. Okay. Because you're just going to take this burden on that's not your burden. You can't fix it. That's between them and God. So as I, and then let me put it in the context. Let me take one minute. As you age, you don't age out of this responsibility. Now, you may be swimming in a smaller pool, but what I've noticed is it's almost a better opportunity to witness. I have a nurse that comes to my house every week. She comes on Tuesday. So she was there yesterday. So Savannah was there yesterday. And I said to her, I'm your favorite patient, aren't I? <laughs> And that's my goal, is to be patient of the year and with every doctor that I have. And she said, you know what, Tom, it's my favorite place to come. 
that's different than what I asked. But, but Savannah, I mean, Savannah sees me, and, and, and so I'm not with a group of 100 people. I'm one-on-one, but I have an opportunity. Where she'll, and she'll just say, how do you get through all this? She's got a file like this. I said, well, Savannah, here's my story. Two weeks ago, she said, you need to shave today. Don't you do your thing tomorrow? You need to clean up. You don't look too good. (laughs) Scraggly was the word she used. But you see what I'm saying? You don't age out of this. And in fact, it becomes almost easier when you're laying there with a catheter and tubes and somehow you're smiling or somehow what they see it in your family, it opens it. Inevitably, they want to know, what do you do? Now, for me, it's easy. I go, well, here's what I do. Here's what I did. That interests you. What's your background? And then it starts a discussion. You don't age out of this. Don't cut yourself slack here. And like I said, I think it's easier. Okay, so now I'm living this. Next week, it, it, we are in my sweet spot. Next week is my go-to number one. If I get a chance to talk about something other than the gospel, it's next week's topic. It, it's, it's right there. And I think, my own view, it's the missing ingredient in most Christians' life. So you would be an absolute fool to not be here next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this. Thank you for what you do in our life. Thank you for loving us and saving us. We pray that to you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.